What's going on guys, just another critic here, welcome back to the channel, week 8 is in the books, we're going over my biggest takeaways from week 8, and before we do that, let's just take a moment to touch on how fire my upset alert picks have been, um, let's take a look at them, if you're new to the channel, let's run over them very quickly, my first upset alert pick of week 8 was the Texas versus Kansas game, where that game pretty much went down to the last second, where... Really, Kansas, Kansas just didn't have the goods to finish off that, that Longhorns team. Um, Texas was able to drive down into Kansas territory and was able to kick a game-winning field goal to win the game 50-48. to Dicker, the kicker, came through again. My second upset alert pick was the Penn State versus Michigan game. Uh, Penn State at home, whiteout. Obviously, a lot of people thought that game was over. Uh, Penn State had jumped out to a 21-0 lead. Um, but really, Michigan fought back in the second half, right? Found themselves um, down by a touchdown, 28-21 to on the goal line. Um, and Ronnie Bell just wasn't able to catch that ball that was thrown, in, thrown right to his chest to tie it up, 28-28. That's how it works out sometimes. Um, but yeah, close one, close finish, good game. And my last upset alert pick was the BYU versus Boise State game. Um, BYU at home in Provo, a cold night, around 40 degrees. It was hailing at some points in the game. Um, but overall, Boise State had lost their starting quarterback. And really, I, I didn't have a lot of belief in this Boise State team. I just don't think they're up to that level. Um, that we've seen from Boise State teams in the past. Um, I do think they're a good team and they've got a lot of potential um, to be one of the great Boise State teams in the future, but just not right now because of how young they are. But yeah, BYU was able to beat them at home, uh, pull the upset, beat the 14th ranked team in the country at home. And so that one came through. Got a little jet in the background. Anyway, moving along, wanted to jump into my biggest takeaways from week eight. Um, obviously, the biggest things on the on the plate. Um, if you if you've been paying attention to college football over the weekend, Alabama Tua Tagovailoa will be out for about two weeks or so. They're expecting him to come back for that LSU game. Um, but if we're being realistic. I don't think Alabama fans should expect him to be 100% when he returns for that game. Um, and really, I don't think he should play at all. If you look at the timetable uh, for a high ankle sprain, it averages anywhere from four to six weeks, and they're pushing him to come back in roughly two weeks, right, to play in that um, LSU game. Well, I think it'll be they have Arkansas this week, and then they have a bye, I believe. Oh, well, so actually roughly three weeks he'll have to recover. Um, but still, uh, I, I don't think he'll be at 100%. And we'll see, though. We'll see. Tua, he's the type of guy, if you've listened to his interviews, he's going to play regardless of whether or not he's 100%. As long as he gets cleared by the medical staff, he will be on that field, and he's going to give it his all. Um, but I really think they should... Um, consider, you know, sitting him if he doesn't feel like he's 100% because um, I understand that it, it it makes the game nearly impossible to win without him. 
but at the same time you you kind of have to think about the kid for a second um with that being said we'll see what alabama you know it's most likely he's gonna play um Tua's not going to want to sit that game out. I understand that. Um, but just looking at it from, you know, a personal perspective for himself and for him as an individual, um, he might want to conserve that ankle. Uh, with that being said, um, LSU still looking good, rolling, smashed uh, Mississippi State. The offense played well as we expected. I think the defense was uh more of a surprise where they, they they actually played a complete game held mississippi state to 13 points um ohio state friday night where we thought this northwestern team would give them you know that typical ohio state game that we see every year where ohio state just doesn't play up to their potential and ends up finding a way to lose that wasn't the case ohio state went to northwestern absolutely blew them out 52 to 3 um Moving along, I mean, really, the bigger the bigger games was the Penn State versus Michigan game, where we got a good look at, um, really, Penn State and that offense because I think a lot of us still had question marks on whether or not Sean Clifford w- would be the guy to um, really lead this team to, I guess, you know, glory. Um, they are ranked sixth in the nation after Week Eight and their win over Michigan, uh, which was a good win. But I still have I still have you know questions about this offense. Um, I just see I just see more for them. I don't think they're playing at their at their best just yet. Um, obviously, still a little early in the season. I mean, we're at week eight. We're at week nine. Going into week nine, coming out of week eight. So at this point in time, you've got to start trending up, right? Start trending up and start hitting your stride um, as they get towards the back end of their schedule where they're going to see teams. Um, they're going to go to Michigan State and go to Ohio State. And that's where they're going to be need. They're going to need to be clicking um, on all cylinders. And so moving along, we saw the Florida-South Carolina game where there was a lot of controversy with the referees. Um, South Carolina, playing very well um, I think one of the most underrated parts of their game is the run game um, they look very strong at the line of scrimmage on offense I thought that was just going to be the case versus Alabama but they looked very impressive um, throughout the season really versus Georgia um, and as well as Florida because I understand Florida is missing uh, two of their top guys on that on the line of scrimmage at, at the defensive line um, but still South Carolina made a game of it, ended up losing 38 to 27. But like I said, a lot of controversy in that loss. Um, Georgia playing at home again versus Kentucky. 21 to 0 victory over Kentucky, but really a game that was um, rained out. Lots of rain. Uh, it's really tough, you know, to to execute a game plan with the with the weather that was just atrocious. Uh, but at the same time, the game was 0-0 at half. I really expected Georgia to um, still be able to find a way to dominate this game regardless because a lot of their their scheme is dictated on uh, running the ball or their offensive success is dictated on running the ball with those big boys up at the line of scrimmage. And so they were... They were able to eventually wear down that Kentucky defense and take over late, and that's why the score finished twenty-one to zero. But I still think we still we're still looking for more from this Georgia team, especially with the talent that they possess. Um, 
really all over, all over that team in special teams and on defense, on offense. If you look at that roster, it's littered with four stars and five stars. Um, moving along, Oregon took on Washington. Uh, I didn't think the game would be this high scoring. If you you know listen to my predictions on that game, I did have Oregon winning 27 to 21. Um, and really both defenses just essentially got shredded through the air. Uh, couldn't really stop the pass game. Um, really, the bigger surprise was Oregon for me. There was just Jacob Eason, who hadn't been playing well um, versus any decent defenses. He just went off. He absolutely shredded Oregon. Um, and this Oregon team, who was, you know, looked at as a as a top team um, on both sides of the ball, obviously with Justin Herbert on offense, but statistically their defense had been top 10, I believe. And so coming into this game, when you look at statistics without context, that's just ignorance, in my opinion. And so I had I had gone through some debates with some people about Oregon's defense and just how good they really were. But you just got to put it into context, take a look at some of those opponents that they've, you know, uh, held um, to scoreless or, you know, single digit um, scores and whatnot. And just take a look at it and really, um, you know, look at it realistically. With that, um, Utah. Utah sneaking their way back up close to the top 10. They're sitting at 12 right now. Took on Arizona State, beat them 21-3. to My final score on that game was Utah winning 34-17. to um, But really, this game simply played out exactly how I thought it would. Arizona State coming into a high elevation um you know environment where they went from a thousand to roughly four thousand four hundred in elevation right a thousand two hundred or something feet and then they're coming up to utah to play uh utah at home in the cold weather and and essentially my opinion on the game is that the elevation would eventually take its toll where utah would run away with the game in the second half um and arizona just wouldn't be able to answer and uh, so Arizona State did a good job of holding them down for most of the game. But obviously, like I said, Utah eventually took over and beat them 21 to 3. And then the big story on the weekend was Wisconsin losing to Illinois 24 to 23 on a last second field goal. Uh, the Badgers were up, I believe, by nine points with six minutes left in this game. And um, essentially what happened, it was two turnovers. Uh, Jonathan Taylor fumbled inside the Illinois territory and Illinois just found a nice matchup um, on the outside with their wide receiver number nine forget what his name was but he was really beating the Badgers DBs uh, one-on-one practically most of the day and he was the big play threat he scored two touchdowns for them Um, and then obviously the Badgers got the ball back up by uh, up by two and what happened was Wisconsin drove the ball uh, Illinois got some stops, and then Jack Cohn, the guy who they thought would be, you know, smarter, uh, who we thought was better than um, Alex Hornibrook, as far as the turnover column goes, he went out through interception um, in in Wisconsin territory. And that essentially sealed the game. Illinois drove the ball, kicked a field goal, upset. 
complete, right, at home. And so the Badgers rank 13 right now. Do they still have a chance to make the college football playoff? They do, but it's definitely going to be the toughest path to the playoff that anyone may have, right? Because essentially they're going to be asked to beat Ohio State twice. Um, That's, you know, assuming they win the West and find themselves in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, But that's that's a big-time opportunity in front of them if they can capitalize on it. Um, I'm not sure how the committee would keep them out, but that's the path that they'll have to take. Uh, Moving along, man, Baylor. Baylor right now ranked at 14th, jumped up four spots. They beat Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State in a game where a lot of people thought Oklahoma State would win this and essentially, you know, pull away with all the talent that they have at the skill positions. Spencer Sanders at quarterback, Chuba Hubbard at running back, and then Tylen Wallace outside at wide receiver. That was the case for most of the game. Uh, Oklahoma State was winning for most of the game. Late in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma State, things just fell apart. The wheels fell off turnovers, uh, defensive touchdowns, just some crazy college football stuff happened and Baylor was able to pull it out 45 to 27. Um, Outside of that, uh, SMU looked good, uh, continued their streak, beat up on a good Temple team who a lot of people had seen as a good Temple team. Uh, Temple who had played very solid defensively. Um, If you listen to my predictions, I had that game going SMU 38 to 20. It finished 45 to 21. So my prediction very close as far as the score goes. And like I said, SMU just brought too much firepower on offense for Temple to really uh, try and slow them down for four quarters. Uh, Minnesota jumped up three spots. Sitting at 17, 7 and 0 right now, 6 and 0, uh, 7 and 0. Um, and a lot of people are really high on this Minnesota team, but I'm still not ready to crown them as, you know, any, any, uh, real competitor or contender. Uh, they really just take a look at their schedule. It says it all. I mean, I don't really have to speak on Minnesota too much. Uh, three near, three, three close wins. So near losses versus two group of five teams and one FCS team. Um, but yeah, moving along, Appalachian State still undefeated, smashed University of Louisiana Monroe. Boise State dropped eight spots after that loss to BYU. Iowa State took care of business versus Texas Tech, 34-24. Um, yeah, I mean, Wake Forest found themselves in the top 25 because they're a 6-1 team. Um, But in reality, that Wake Forest team is, I don't think they're going to be in the top 25 for very long. But with all that being said, I I mean, uh, those are pretty much the biggest takeaways uh, from this week. Obviously, next week, we've got some big games on slate. LSU taking on Auburn. We got Wisconsin going to Ohio State. Um, Notre Dame at Michigan. And uh, yeah, that's those are some of the bigger games that we have, I guess, on tap um outside of that it's pretty much just going to be a a normal college football weekend well i mean that's probably not the best way to put it college football is never college football never has a normal weekend so we'll see what happens this week i will put it i'll be putting out my predictions for those big games those ranked versus ranked opponents as well as doing my upset alert picks with all that being said Appreciate you guys all for supporting the channel. This was my college football biggest takeaways from week eight. Um, If you have any questions, comments, throw them down in my comment sections uh, on the podcast or wherever you're listening. Um, 
yeah, I think I covered it all. With all that, this is just another critic. You guys have a great rest of your day, evening, or night. Signing off. Peace.